Brilliant. While we were kind of gathering around for the uh, baptisms, we were listening to Andy sharing his testimony. Someone jokingly said to me, Rich, you're not going to have to preach today, are you? And actually, out of what we've heard through the worship and then hearing what Andy was sharing, actually, I am going to preach today. But there is there's great truth that has come through. There's what, the wonderful truth of the grace of God, of the way what, who he is is true. Who Jesus is, who Jesus said he was, and who Jesus said he is, is true. And because of what he says he is, and because of who he is, he transforms lives. It's wonderful, wonderful truth. But we are going to look at Hebrews chapter 3. First few verses of Hebrews chapter 3. I, I am going to pray. All through the worship, I've just felt, this is fantastic. This is wonderful. I am stirred. I want the joy and the passion and not the feedback and the... Um, sorry, Dan, it's not your fault. I know. Um, the joy and the passion and the wonder at his grace that I felt again afresh today to come across in what I'm saying and that we'd all just be caught up by his grace and mercy to us, the wonder of who God is. Father God, thank you that you have already been speaking to us today. Thank you that you are at work all the time. Thank you that you are here with us. Thank you that your presence is incredible. Thank you that you are changing lives. As we've seen, uh, just representing these two who've been baptised today, just saying, this is what the Lord has done for me. Lord, thank you that that is the truth. Lord, we pray, Lord, as we hear your word, Lord, that we would be stirred, that we would be captivated. Lord, that we would be just caught up again in the wonder of who you are and your grace. Amen. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what will be said in the future, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house, if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Fantastic. It's been a few, if you've been with us, it's been several weeks since we've been in in Hebrews, but don't worry, because this passage starts, therefore, so therefore, it's just a fantastic opportunity for a giant recap. No, we're not going to have a giant recap, but what he's saying here, therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, it is all based on what have you just heard? What is it that we've been talking about? Therefore, because God has spoken by his Son, because Jesus is God, the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his being, because he is the one who has the name above every name and is therefore higher and more glorious than the angels, 
Because that Jesus came down to earth. Because that Jesus came to earth suffering death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Because by that death, he destroyed him who holds the power of death and set free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Because he is now exalted at the right hand of God. And because he, he who is exalted at the right hand of God, is not ashamed to call us brothers. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Because of all that he's done, we get to be called holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling. And because of that, let's fix our thoughts on him. Fix our thoughts on Jesus. It keeps coming throughout Hebrews. It comes on and on. Focus on Jesus. Hold on to your hope. So right at the beginning of Hebrews 2, pay careful attention to what you've heard. Hebrews 4.14, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Hebrews 10.19, let us hold unswervingly. Hebrews 12, verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because of all that he is, all that he's done, this is an appropriate response. And it's one that I make no apology for focusing on again, even after Terry Virgo focused on it last week. Fix your eyes on him. Remember Peter in the storm. Peter's walking on water. Why did you doubt, Peter? Fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me. That's what God calls us to do. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So what does it say in this passage? Fix your thoughts on Jesus the apostle and high priest of whom we confess. In a sense, that's a bit of a, that's almost a a wrapping up of all that we've heard already. Jesus, the apostle, the one sent from God, and high priest, the one who represents us before God. Jesus, sent by God. God has spoken by the prophets, but now he's spoken by his son. And high priest, our representative, The one as Romans 5 verse 2 says, through whom we gain access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And Ephesians 2 17 says, through him we both, that's talking about Jews and Gentiles, through him we both have access to the Father. This is who he is. Focus on him. It was amazing as as Natalie uh, interpreted that tongue. We see this, Jesus as apostle and high priest. How can it be that you are all these things at once and yet this is Jesus? This is Jesus, the one who is God and is man. It's God come down as man and now he is God's representative coming to us. But he's also our representative standing before the Father. Wow. So what does it say? Faithful. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Okay, so the, the author to the Hebrews has already 
It's kind of compared Jesus with the angels already. He said, no, Jesus is much greater than the angels. Now he's kind of bringing in this comparison with Moses. He's saying, yeah, Moses was faithful. Now Jesus was faithful too. And actually, in a similar way. Let's look at Moses for a minute. Because possibly at this point, the, the author's speaking into the fact that probably the guys he's writing to, they're probably under a bit of attack from the Jews around them, their brothers, who they've, they probably were Jews themselves, they've come to know Jesus. But the Jews around them are saying, why, why are you turning away? Why are you turning away from what Moses gave to us? Why are you turning away from the law and everything that God has bring, brought through Moses? So he's tackling it. Head on, no, 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 Moses was a faithful guy. No, no, you're not, he is good. He is a good guy. So what, what do we see about Moses. Moses was faithful. Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12 shows us what God, how God thought of Moses. We see in Numbers 12 that Miriam and Aaron, relatives of Moses, have kind of come up in opposition to him. Why, why, who do you think you are, Moses? And God says this in Numbers chapter 12, verse 6. He said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So, of course, it's a rebuke to, to Miriam and to Aaron and to, to the others around it. But what is he saying of Moses? He is faithful in all my house. I, am, I have intimate relationship with him. But what do we see of Moses? He said here, he, he said Jesus is the apostle and high priest and he was faithful just as Moses was faithful. And we see it. We see Moses, of not very many Old Testament characters, can be seen in this similar way. As a glimpse of the apostle sent by God and the high priest who represents the people. What do, what do we know of Moses? God sends him to Pharaoh. God sends him to Pharaoh says, go to Pharaoh, say, let my people go. And after a bit of trouble in Egypt, a bit of time, and God having to to do some stuff to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. They come out. They come out. Moses leads the people out. Leads them through the Red Sea. Leads them out into the desert. Leads them through the desert. It's the one God has sent. The sent one of God. And all along the way, God is speaking. God speaks to Moses, gives him the law, gives him the Ten Commandments for the people. He's speaking to him. He's giving him his word for the people. But also we see, but you say, you say, you'll be thinking again, but Aaron was the priest, wasn't he? Moses was the guy God sent, but he made Aaron the priest, didn't he? Well, yeah. But we see Moses standing and interceding for the people, primarily in so many places. In Exodus 32, Moses has gone up the mountain people make a golden calf what you've turned away from God 
Moses is back before the Father. He's back before God, saying, God, forgive them. God, don't leave us. Don't, don't turn your back on your people because of this. I'm standing before you. It's Moses who's standing before God on behalf of the people. And again, when the spies come back, they get to the promised land, the spies have gone in. Caleb and Joshua are like, yes, let's go. And the rest are like, yeah, you know, it's a bit scary. And the people are like, oh, no, we, we should go back to Egypt. We should go and it's all terrible. God's not happy. Understandably, God's not happy. Moses is before God again. It's Moses. No, don't turn your back on your people. What would the Egyptians say if they saw that you just led them out here and then they died? No, we've got to keep going. God, I'm, I'm before you. So we see Moses, you see him kind of showing this idea of the, the sent one of God, who's also standing on behalf of the people before God. And he was faithful. He was faithful. But... Moses was faithful, Jesus was faithful, but Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses. So, these guys are probably under a bit of attack. Why have you abandoned Moses? Why have you gone away from the law? What are you doing? Who is this Jesus? No, Moses was faithful in all of God's house, but... Jesus has been found worthy of more honour than Moses. We even see it in the stories looking at Moses. Let's look at Exodus 33. I make no apologies as to this is what I was looking at with the fusion guys on Tuesday. So we can use it twice. It's fantastic. Pay attention, fusion guys, you should remember all of this. Maybe not. In Exodus 33, we see a picture. We can see it's just after the episode with the golden calf. Moses has come down the mountain. He's gone back. He's standing before God saying, no, don't leave us. We see, again, it's Moses standing. Look, he's the one standing before God. You can see, we can see the picture all the way through Exodus. We can see of Moses being like Jesus of being like him. And you see, this is what Jesus does for us now. He stands before the Father. What does God say? He, uh, Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. You said, I know you by name and you found favour with me. If you're pleased with me, Teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember this nation is your people. And the Lord says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? This is what the Lord says to Moses. I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. God is pleased with Moses, so he said he'll come with the people. Moses has found favour in God's eyes, so he's going to come with the people. 
Because Jesus lived the perfect life, died the perfect death, stands in our place. God finds favour with him and forgives us. He stood in our place, took our sin. God is pleased with him. And he's exalted him to the highest place. Okay, so we see a glimpse. Moses, it's a kind of similar thing. But then what? Moses says, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then what does he say? The Lord says, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock, on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. In Moses, we see a picture of Christ. We see Jesus in in him leading his people out, in him finding favour with God and God says, yes, I will forgive the people, bring them and I'll come with you. But, Moses needs Jesus. Moses, to stand in God's presence in that way, to see his glory, he needs the rock. The rock. All through Exodus, we see Moses kind of pointing the way to to Christ. We see something of of Jesus there, but Jesus has found greater honour than Moses because what else do we see throughout the Exodus story? We see other things that are pointing to Jesus. We see... When, Pharaoh, when God says, I'm going to kill the firstborn of Egypt, he says to the, to the Hebrews, kill a lamb, spread its blood on the door, and I will pass over your house. I will save you by the blood of the lamb. That's not by the blood of Moses, that's by the blood of the lamb. When Moses asked to see God's glory, stand on the rock. I will hide you in the rock so that, you, so that you'll be safe so that you'll be safe. You can't stand before me and see my face. I'll put you in the rock. Jesus. Jesus, a picture there. The lamb, Moses, the rock. All sorts of things throughout. We see Jesus, but it's not just Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses. And Moses himself, Deuteronomy 18, points to the fact that another one is coming. Another one is coming. It's not, it's not just, Moses is pointing towards someone else. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers, your own brothers. You must listen to him. But here he is, Jesus. Jesus, the one like Moses who leads his people out of slavery, who truly leads his people out of slavery and into the promised land. Jesus, what we see in Hebrews 3 is not really that, oh, Jesus is, Jesus is like Moses, just another Moses. He's another Moses. No. Moses is a bit like Jesus, but Jesus is so much more. Moses is a bit like Jesus. You can see 
Now guys, if you're saying go back to Moses, no, no, no. Moses was great. Moses was amazing. He was faithful in all of God's house. But Jesus is more. Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. Don't turn back to Moses and to the law because as Hebrews 10 reminds us, the law was a shadow of the good things to come. The law was great. The law was good. God gave the law. But it points to Jesus. It points to Jesus. It shows us our need of Jesus. Well, effectively, it says Moses and the law and everything that came before is not an alternative. It's kind of, well, we could follow Moses and kind of go with this. Or Jesus, or this new upcoming guy who suddenly appeared on the scene. Well, let's... No, they're not an alternative. Moses came first and points to Jesus. Moses and the law point to our need of the one who is greater. The one who is greater, the one who is Jesus. Okay, so Jesus, Jesus was faithful as Moses was faithful. Jesus is worthy of more honour than Moses. And the writer to the Hebrews then uses two interesting little pictures, which are kind of house-related, to put it mildly. But they're subtly different, the two of them. What does he say first? Let's get back there. Hebrews 3. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. It's pointing out Jesus is in a completely different category to Moses. Jesus is in a completely different category. What is it saying? Jesus... The mighty son of God, who is the builder of everything. He's the builder of the house. He's the builder. And what's Moses? He's the bricks. The builder and the bricks. Now that, that I'm being deliberately, almost overplaying it. Almost making it sound, you think that, it's a pile of bricks. What? But it is. Jesus is the builder Moses was the one, he shaped him, he formed him. He's the one, Moses, faithful in the house. Moses was part of the house. He's bricks, he's created stuff that was made into a house, faithful and glorious for God. But the builder and the bricks, there's a, there's a massive difference I was just reminded in the worship, for anyone who's, well, no, we can't categorise this. Well, no, we, we should categorise this. Anyone who's seen Bob the Builder? So I'm expecting, so, see, this is why I'm saying I shouldn't, shouldn't categorise this, but I should really. If you're quite small, you may have seen Bob the Builder. If you're a bit older, you may still have seen Bob the Builder, but anyway, I've seen Bob the Builder. Bob the Builder builds things, funnily enough. He's the builder. He's got his team of big, uh, what are they called, tools, and um, here we go, come on, diggers, and um, come on, yeah, scoop muck and dig, yeah, anyway, 
I'm trying to think what they all are. Cement mixes, there we are, and uh, yeah, different diggers and uh, bulldozers, there we are. I'm, I'm remembering building vehicle names. It's very difficult. Anyway, this is pointless. Bob the Builder and his team build buildings. At the end of the episode, generally speaking, I think, there's a general, general cry of, well done, Bob, for saving the day. Well done, Bob, for getting the building done. Well done, Bob and his team, in this case, for doing it. Yes, the building is built. It's great. It's fantastic. It's what they needed. But the honour goes to Bob and his team. They've done it. They've usually probably come overcome some slightly strange problem that cropped up in the middle. But he's done it. He's the one who's doing it. He's the builder. And why do I say that? I think... I was thinking before this that sometimes actually we lose this thing. The builder is worthy of greater honour than the house. I think we can look at things sometimes. We can look at a painting. And we've had no contact with who the, who the painter was. And we think, wow, that's an amazing painting. And actually our thoughts don't go necessarily, depending on maybe how we think, to, but actually, how incredible was the painter? How incredible was he? How incredible. This is what this is saying. We can get caught up. In a general sense, we can get caught up by, look how amazing this is. Look, how ama- look at what's been built. Look how good it is. Let's focus on the creator, the builder, the one who has made all the amazing stuff. It's a general reminder. There are some amazing things. But the one who made them is greater. The one who made them is amazing. Charles Spurgeon once visited Switzerland. He was struck by the amazing beauty of the mountains and everything around him. He said this, As I've stood in the midst of these mountains and valleys, I've wished I could carry you all there. I cannot reproduce to you the thoughts that then passed through my mind. I cannot describe the storms we saw below us when we were on top of the hill. I cannot tell you about the locusts that came in clouds and devoured everything before them. Time would utterly fail me to speak of all the wonders of God which we saw in nature and in providence. One more remark and I have done. If you cannot travel, remember that our Lord Jesus Christ is more glorious than all else that you could ever see. Get a view of Christ. You've seen more than mountains and cascades, and valleys, and seas can ever show you. Thunders may bring their sublimest uproar, and lightnings their awful glory. Earth may give its beauty, and stars their brightness. But all of these put together can never rival him. Nothing compares to him. He's the builder. He's the builder. Moses was in that sense a great house and he was part of a great house. But Jesus is the builder. God is the builder of all things. So in that, this general reminder, nothing compares to him. Nothing is as good. Don't get fixated on anything else in the same way. Look to him. Fix your thoughts on him. And in that sense, when any attack comes, when any storm comes up, as 
Terry was telling us last week. In the storm. When we could be tempted to look away and get fixed on the waves and the storm and everything around us. Remember that he is so much greater. He's the builder. He's above it all. He is so much greater. We've been reminded of that this morning as well. Lindsay brought that picture of of a huge wave coming. Yet he is greater. Gav prayed out at the beginning. Everything we see around us, it, it can distract us, it can get hold of us. We can think, oh my word, what is happening here? And yet he is bigger. He gives us hope. So Jesus, God the Son, he's the builder. He's the one who created all things. Through him, God created everything. And he is greater. But there's a specific reminder. What is he building here? He's building his church. He's building his church. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Jesus, the glorious son of God, who stepped down, this is what he came to do. This is what he came to do. He came to die, to rise again, to bring in people into his family, his church, his house that he is building. What did he say to Peter? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Peter seems to hold on to this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's building us in to his house, his church. It's a wonderful, wonderful picture of Look at how much greater Jesus is. This is what he is doing. Moses was faithful. Look, Jesus is building his church. Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But then secondly, he also looks at a slightly different picture. So we see Jesus is found worthy of greater honour because a builder is more worthy of honour than the house. But also then... In verse 5, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. Okay, is he just saying the same thing again in a slightly different way? I think to a point he is. He's saying again, look, Jesus is in a completely different category. Moses, faithful servant of God. Jesus is God. He's God the Son. He rules over But it's a different picture. There's a subtle difference. The builder is outside the house. The builder is building the house. He makes the house out of the bricks. But the son is in the household. 
son and servant are both within the household. It's a subject, it was a house of bricks and mortar. This is talking about a household, a group of people. And the son is right in there. So what's he also saying here? Jesus is greater. Jesus is building his house, but he's part of his house. He's in it. He's son over the house. Or as it says in other places, he's the head of the body. He's the head of the body. In Ephesians 4.22, it talks about that. So what do we see? We don't see that Jesus is just a builder who's kind of outside making this. Oh, isn't this a lovely house? Now, what does the Bible say about Jesus? He's the builder, yes. But at the same time, he's in the house. He is the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone, the one that the house is built upon. Let's go back to 1 Peter 2 verse 3. It's saying that we, like living stones, are being built into a house for the Lord. But what else is it saying? We read it and didn't think about it. Verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone... Rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And again, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Jesus is greater as the builder is greater than the house, but he is built into the house. He is the one who the whole house is built upon. The solid foundation, the great king, the head of the body. Those two pictures sound a bit kind of strange. Well, the head is kind of at the top and he's kind of thinking. The, capsta- the cornerstone is kind of the foundation down at the bottom and it's a house and a body. What's that? It's the same thing. Jesus, they say slightly different things, but it's the same thing. Jesus is the one. We're built into him. We're built on him. The church is built on Jesus Christ. The church is built on him, the solid rock. Solid rock. But what it also says there, he's not just a builder who's distant. He's not distant. We are in him. As Moses was put in that cleft of the rock, we're in him. We can be in him. Moses was a faithful servant, but Christ is the son, the one who we can be with and in and built into as his body because he's not ashamed to call us brothers. So what do we see? He's building his house in the last verse and we are his house. Keep going. Trust in him. And how did he start? Fix your thoughts on him for he is glorious. Those two comparisons give us two kind of complementary pictures. Jesus builds the house. He's the one who is building his church and, and nothing will stand against it. But he's with us. He's in there, ruling over his household as the son and heir and brings us into that position as well as his brothers. Brings us in to being heirs with him.
Throughout the whole passage, we see this unique position of Christ as God and man, the apostle and high priest, the one who is building, he's building his church. But he's with us. He's with us. He's the one who stepped down. And we are his house. God, Jesus, is building the house and we are his house. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling. What a title to be able to be given. We see the wonder of what Jesus has done, what he is doing. This is what he's saying. Therefore, fix your thoughts on him because this is what he's doing. This is what he's done for you. We see the wonder of his grace and mercy and pulling in the, 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 the comparison with Moses and the law just makes it all the more stark. See his grace and mercy. If you've watched either the stage musical or the film of Les Miserables, I started reading the book. It wasn't because you mentioned it at the intro course, Dan. But that might be, maybe prompted me a bit more. I started reading the book. We see the character of Jean Valjean, a prisoner. The law shows our plight. Guilty. Cannot be free. He was locked up for stealing a loaf of bread, given five years, and then it was extended and extended because he tried to escape. And we see the plight of being guilty. Remember near the beginning of the musical, Javert, this guy who's the policeman or the jailer or whatever, who's kind of representing the, the law. Now bring me prisoner 24601. Your time is up. Your paroles began. You know what that means? Yeah. It means I'm free. No. 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 You get your yellow ticket of leave, but you are a thief. Jean Valjean's fallen short. He's broken the law. There's nothing he can do. He served his time. He served 19 years for stealing some bread and trying to escape. But even when he's let out, he's not free. He's not free. There is nothing he can do for himself. And very particularly in the book you read, he enters a town and he's, he's trying to find somewhere to stay. He's got money. He's got some money. He goes to the inn. Get out. You're a convict. Get out. Goes to a slightly less reputable inn. Get out. You're a convict. He's kicked out of a dog's kennel by the dog. There's nothing he can do. This is the picture of us. This is what the law shows us. There is nothing we can do. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short. But this is what Jesus has done. I was so struck in reading this. I've seen the film. I've seen the stage show. Reading the book, he comes to the bishop's house. 
And the bishop says, come in. Jean Valjean lays bare. What it, I, look, I'm a convict. I've spent, I stole some bread and I've served 19 years in prison and then no one wants me and everyone's rejecting me. Come in. Come in. What? Did you hear me? I said, I'm a convict. No one wants me. No one wants anything to do with me. Come in. Set another place at the table. Come and sit by the fire. Come and warm yourself. What? Come in. And we'll know, as the story goes on, in the night, he's just struck by thought. He doesn't know what to do. He thinks... I'm still not really sure about all this. He steals the silver and goes off out. He steals the silver from the bishop. It's the only thing the bishop's really got. He gets caught. And the bishop's response, the police bring him back, say he's making up some story about you having given him this. I did. I did. And my friend, you left in such a rush that you forgot that I gave you these as well and gives him the best of the lot, the candlesticks. Then he says this. Remember this, my friend. And he says, this is a paraphrase, I have bought your soul for God. I've bought your soul for God. Under the law, we're lost. We're completely lost. We cannot, we can think. We can think, I can do better, I can do well. I can, I'm not that bad, I'm okay. We've fallen short and we can never be free. Except that Jesus came. Jesus came. Jesus came. And as Tracy was saying earlier as well, Jesus, the champion, has won the prize. He has won the prize and he shares it with us. He shows us mercy. The, the bishop showed mercy. Where it made, what, what, wow. And again, you showed him mercy and he stole your silver. You showed him more mercy. Wow. We see it together in Hebrews. We've seen what Jesus has done. It's the preceding chapter, chapter two. Therefore, holy brothers, fix your thoughts on him. Look what he has done. Yeah, Moses was faithful, but don't turn back to the law. Don't turn back to the law because Moses was pointing to Jesus. Moses was put, the law was showing us our need of the mercy and grace of God through Jesus. He has won us. He is the victor, the one, the builder, creator God, builder of all things, who's building his church, has won us and brought us in. As I close, what do we do? We fix our eyes on him. We fix our thoughts on him. I heard that last week from Terry. And then on Monday night, I'm already thinking, ah, 
I'm kind of prepared, but I've got to do fusion tomorrow night, and then I'm preaching on Sunday. Ah! Fix your eyes on him. I tell that as a tiny example. I deliberately make it. I'm worried about the fact that God's given me something good to do. Others will be facing other things that are much bigger, much more massive. But in every situation, as Gav was praying, in every situation, let's fix our eyes on him. Because it's a therefore, because look what he's done. Look who he is. Look, now you can be called holy brothers and the ones who have received this heavenly calling. Fix your eyes on him. And this book's written to those who believe. This chapter, this, this letter. But it doesn't preclude the fact that if you don't know him today... This is what he's done. This is what he's done and you can know him. This is what he's done. He's paid the price. He's opened the way to come to God. Without him, the truth is you cannot be free from sin. You cannot be free. You cannot come to God. But with him, you can. You can have life. You can have, you can be a holy brother set apart, brought to God. You can stand on the rock that is Jesus, the one who is worthy of greater honour than Moses. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, you... You were faithful, like Moses was faithful, and yet you are so much greater. We can look at Moses, we can look at the stories in the Old Testament, we can look at the law that came, we can look at your people coming out through the desert, and we can see just a shadow of what was to come. We can see a snapshot, a a foretaste. But then we see you, so much greater the one who is building his church, the one who by his death and resurrection has enabled us to have access to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Help us to fix our thoughts on you. In every situation, when the wave hits, when things are going well, when it's just mundane and daily life, let us fix our thoughts on you the builder, the one who is building his church, but the one who also is built in, the cornerstone, the foundation, the one who, the rock on which we stand on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen.